0: My name is Kaufar Bouchalik, I'm your host of tonight and I have the pleasure and honor to have some really, really nice and interesting guests. Before I go uh, into them, I would like to introduce what FEMISO Now is. FEMISO Now is the podcast brought to you by uh, FEMISO. It started uh, this Ramadan and every Sunday and Wednesday we bring the most interesting people across Europe to you to get you through Ramadan and after that uh, as well. And today we are going to talk about uh, the COVID-19 crisis and the post-COVID-19 societies. And we will be talking about how this crisis affects Europe, what we can learn from that and what's happening on institutional and on local level. And for answering these very big questions in just one hour, I have some very exciting guests with me. Uh, we have Mohamed Shaheen from the Netherlands joining. He is uh, uh, he is is. Um, member of the European Parliament. I have Maysoon with us. Thank you so much for being with us, Maysoon, from Spain. She is um, councilwoman at Madrid Hall, City Hall, an innovation expert. And then we have uh, Magic Majid with us, former MIP before the big uh, Brexit, and a social justice activist and writer. And uh, I'm very happy you joined us with this live session. Please feel free to add comments and questions into the comment section, because um, based on that, we will take you into account and answer some of those. So uh, share this, uh, be part of the conversation, because we do believe that this conversation could be part of something bigger to proceed to work uh, after the COVID-19 together as well. So, that's it from my side. Uh, Welcome again, Mohammed, Maysoon, and Magic. And since we just have one hour, I will jump right into one of the big questions. So, uh, let's do that, and I'm quite sure you will be able to give us uh, great answers. So, um, just uh, zooming out a little bit, uh, when it comes to pandemics and big crises like these, Uh, In the past, we have seen that they have a very big political impact as well. Uh, They say that the crisis, the financial crisis of 2008, has led to the uprise of populism and some extreme extreme developments into societies where uh, the most vulnerable are not only being affected by the crisis itself, but also by the aftermath. So what do you think, just uh, having still being into the crisis, uh, the legacy of this specific COVID-19 uh, will be, and uh, what do you think we will take away from it? Who's going to be the first one to tap into this?
1: <laughs> okay, then I, 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 let, me, let me start. <laughs> assalamu salamu everyone. Uh, Nice to see you again, Majid. Uh, Salaam, Maysoon. And thanks, Kauta, for the invite and MCO for the invite. I mean, it's a very interesting question. I mean, um, what are we going to take out from it? Usually what I do is, of course, we have to wait what the outcome will be. But we know that the crisis will be severe. We know that the economic impact will also be severe. And we know from uh, earlier crises what the impact has been on society. Um, For example, in the Netherlands, we know that uh, when it comes to unemployment, after the crisis of 2008, minorities were hit almost three times as high. Um, uh, So three times more unemployment rates amongst uh, um, migrants or Dutch people from a migrant uh, descent than the regular, uh, let's say, the native Dutch. That will be, I think, we will see similar things there. In 2008, we saw a lot of uh, nationalism rising up. Uh, um, maybe similar things will happen here we don 't know yet, but I mean, as politicians, we should be prepared to make mm-hmm. that this can happen, and we need to make sure that we have policies on the table to make sure that we fight these type of threats mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and just just uh, touching upon that, and uh, I think one hundred percent in two thousand and eight we did have a massive rise and uh, in hate crime in general but also it's interesting to see the fact that in italy and spain and some other places across europe there's been a massive rise in euro skepticism of course it's always been in there within certain far-right groups but people are using and the coronavirus corona and crisis and the eu's response in terms of well listen didn't show solidarity enough to those countries like Italy, and even though the european union has come out and have apologized for it a lot of countries are saying, like, are using that as a tool to kind of beat the European uh, Union with to say, well, listen, look, it's not fit for working, basically. And I think that's going to be a real uh, and kind of where on think the European Union, like, whether they're going to give out bonds or how they're going to give out in terms of what their methods are to kind of recompensate. And a lot of suffering and countries is going to be interesting. From a UK perspective, I think a lot of things, like, in terms of legacy, like, whether that be from small things, like how we... All work, our day-to-day lives, and I think a lot of people that are saying, "Oh, I can't wait for things to go back to normal." I don't think things will ever go back to normal. Whether that be and um, working online, we've shown that it can it can work, and whether that be even like the way we treat our frontline services. Like for a long time in the UK, <laughs> we have literally been making our NHS and um, redundant. We've not been supporting it as much as we as we should. I think, be. I think that
1: holds for all con- almost all the yeah, European
2: countries. Yeah, our Whereas, especially in the UK, I think people now, fair enough, we've got this very symbolic thing, I don't know if you have in other European uh, countries where every Thursday, 8pm, everybody comes out and gives a clap to the NHS, which is is so empty, just clapping in itself when when people are demanding give them the protective gear that they should have, give them a pay rise. They can't feed with applauses and stuff like that. So I think the way we kind of treat our frontline services is going to have to change. But also I think I generally was hoping that in 2008, that the capitalist agenda that we have in the West, it would have been a great opportunity to change that into something new. And it was like people looking up for the opposition parties to try and change that. But I think, you know, like the whole crisis, especially in the UK where we're seeing them, everything that we got told was possible. It was, everything that we got told was impossible. It all of a sudden became impossible. So like in the UK, they've re the railways even though it's temporary, even though they said that could never happen, they are giving so much money, like millions and millions pounds of taxes to basically to the rich companies. So it's as if like it's socialism for the rich, but for a lot of the kind of small businesses and the people in the lower end of the spectrum are not getting any sort of support and whatsoever. So it's just the whole way we kind of govern that aspect, I think is going to be uh, changing as well. What I'd like for it to change because it can, they can either come out and say, well, we're going to have to go full hard on austerity because we've got no choice, because we need to recover. On the other hand, we're going to have to have a completely different model. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how that moves forward.
0: Thank you, Majid. So um, the impact will be political, economical, and maybe it will even change the way we perceive societies. May soon, Spain is one of the countries that's been hit like very severely. And what are the things you, you see happen? Do you recognise the things that Mohammed and Majid uh, are talking about? Uh, here in Spain, we have like,
3: um, the previous crisis was, uh, was very deep and uh, certainly we didn't have the choice to get out of this crisis, uh, to recover for this one, uh, new one. And we weren't so prepared as uh, maybe a uh, German or UK or France. And uh, I think that the crisis, the crisis will be more severe because we lost some credibility on, uh, on the public sphere. And, and the government. So institutions in Spain uh, are not haven't haven't been able to um, to communicate properly. How is the crisis hitting every sector, and how we can like uh, collaborate or how we can prepare for the next weeks. And this was very um, uh, was a very crucial moment because all the far right movement take this element to. Uh, prepare themselves, run campaigns on Facebook, Twitter, and all of this to hit the government and and to try to uh, set a new reality uh, and uh, get out the the former government and establish a new one. So we faced some uh, crisis moments that uh, were very, very dramatic for Spain because everyone was uh, in the mindset to care about his family, his uh, uh, mates uh, in the in the work, and all of this. And there were uh, there was a big um, part of the society looking for a new government, uh, in spite of uh, working all together to get out of this uh, situation. But from the side of the opportunities, I say that we uh, we need it's uh somehow we need a pandemic to have a, a temporary layoff and our social system to care about all those people. Uh, the temporary um like uh, telework and telecommuting, they help to balance between the life and work uh, in different sectors. We make sure that it wasn't that important to, uh, to be present at work, to be productive. We can be productive at, uh, at home. And finally, we can have like a, a public debate, not only in Spain, but uh, across Europe, about the minimum income or warranty, uh, minimum income uh, to overcome this uh, social crisis over the healthcare uh, crisis all the health uh, crisis, but also all the debate about how we can deal with Europe after all this crisis. Uh, the bonds uh, could be a solution, but uh, from my side, we have to re- uh, to reframe our interest on how we collaborate between the different countries and Europe, and also as citizens across Europe, how, how we can tighten our relationships. And be self-sufficient for the next decade. We don't. Uh, we are not in the need of uh, having our industry uh, in China or in other countries. We have to make it, uh, make them back uh, in Europe, and make our strength from our own la- uh, labor market, our know-how, industry, and all of this. And I think that um, COVID has uh, opened our minds and uh, our thoughts towards new realities, mean sustainable, based on our uh, own resources.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so yeah. much, Meysoon and uh, Majid. One thing yeah. I heard both of you say is that, Majid, on the one hand, I heard you say Euroscepticism. You in the UK have some experiences with that. And Meysoon, I hear you mention that um, like governments even lose trust when it comes to credibility and the way they are capable of managing things. So I'm um, looking at you, Mohammed, being st- still part of these institutions. What do you think that happens when people lose trust in the whole government and yeah. inside of the aspect?
1: Can I say something about that? Because I do believe that society probably will change. I'm not. I see some positive things that inspire me and give me hope during this crisis. But I know that people have a short-term memory loss. So we've seen it that after two thousand and eight uh, that we wanted to attack the, the the bonuses that were given in the financial sectors, and just before the corona crisis, the bonuses are were already up at the pre two thousand eight level. when it comes to euroskepticism, they are so hypocrite it's 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 not even time to laugh it's time to cry. They look at Europe and say. The institutions are not doing their best. They, they have failed us during this Corona crisis. These are these Eurosceptic movements. You can see them in almost all countries. Europe have, has failed us. But Europe doesn't have a health competence because of this right-wing extremists that don't want Europe to be more active, to be more coordinating. You cannot eat, have your cake or eat it too. was it the other way around. I think both are fine. This is This is impossible. So... Either we move into a society where we limit capitalism, where we make sure that if we have profits, they can be given to the shareholders, but at times of losses, the shareholders have to step up. Also, what, I mean, let's look at the uh, let's look at. I mean, we can look at KLM and uh, many other uh, companies that are now helping, uh, calling for a bailout, helping, asking for money. Why aren't they asking their shareholders that got? I do not know how many billions of euros last year. Let them uh, chip in. So either we become more a social, social democratic society where things are shared, also the profits, not only the losses, or we go the other way around. Everyone is for themselves, egocentric, capitalistic. I, I mean, these are the two parts we can continue. When it comes to Europe, yeah. either we unite more as Europe, we become more solidar, to, amongst each other i mean it was ridiculous that for example these face and nose protection uh, uh, materials were uh, were uh, were uh, stopped from exporting from germany and, um, and some other countries to help our friends in spain and italy i mean this this was a big fa- failure of all of the member states but if europe had more competence if europe had the ability to be more uh, of a coordinated role these things wouldn't happen that's my uh, thorough belief so mm-hmm. The people, let me round up, the people that are now clapping every Thursday in Britain and in Belgium every day at eight o'clock, and in the Netherlands, I do not know how many times they do it. Those people should, at the next time, when they go to the ballot box, vote on parties that do want to give these healthcare workers a better salary and better protection gears. I mean, those people define their own future and the future of their country.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just on that and Muhammad, like in in the UK we've got a notorious figure and called Richard Branson who owns like the whole Virgin and and he's like billionaire basically and it caused such an outrage in the UK when he was like yeah I'm asking for a big bailout from uh, the government please help me yet he's still like I think I don't know how much of his staff he kind of laid off or anything like that but in a capitalist world like the market should like decide like if it's it's the hypocrisy exactly. of it all. Because if it was if it, your business won't do well, you you go under. Yeah, so it's as if like the the government see oh easily willing, but we need to understand the fact that these are the people that fund our governments at the election. So is the government, the British government, for example, the Conservative, they've got inherent interest because they're the people that give them power to actually govern in the first place. So it was like in the UK it was really heartbreaking. We saw like we, we had like such a good heads up by seeing what happened on Italy, by seeing what happened in Spain, them having to like use their ice rinks as a temporary morgue, and I was thinking, subhanAllah, that will never happen in the UK. And now we're literally, even in Sheffield, using our ice rinks as 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 what you call it morgues. So we saw this coming yet we chose not to do anything about it. And like at the moment, the UK's government and uh, has got a really positive approval rating because like, it's even during the war and it's silly it's silly but but you know what is Mohammed? there's where is the role of the opposition in in, in my opinion so you are going to get I mean, of it's course hard. like like at the moment the government is using this whole opportunity as a, a pr stunt basically and hmm. even the fact that when as a european continent like i also think the way that the eu like kind of Decides how to kind of act on this is what will define if it's going to continue to be a success or is going to, to fail. So when there was kind of whole procre- procurement agenda and then the UK said, oh, well, we didn't see that email. We kind of missed that email, which is completely not true. So they made a political decision not to get any support from the European Union. And one of the, I guess, blessings from all of this is the word Brexit has not been mentioned once in the UK, and that's the government wants to do. Like government doesn't want to talk about Brexit. And I know me and you, Muhammad, we were talking about it yesterday. But it's mainly because when everything goes tits up and everything goes wrong, they don't want to say it's us leaving the European Union. They want to say all this economic crisis, everything, everything that's happening is because corona. of the COVID, a corona and uh, corona and virus, and there's nothing that we could have done about it whatsoever. So it's, it's, it's a very testing time. Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> funny. Can I say something
1: small? Because I, something that has amazed me a lot is that we these conservative governments ask people that get welfare more conditionalities that they should fulfill to get it than the billion in the action they give to all kinds of companies. This is something to really think about. A mm. woman or a man, a single dad or a single mom, that is raising their children, that has a hard time, that gets maybe, let's say, 900 euros a month. That welfare has more conditionalities than the 4 billion injection from the Dutch government to KLM, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. I mean, this is, I always tell my right-wing friends, listen, be as uh, conditioned as you are towards these poor people that get a bit of welfare. Mm -hmm. If you treat companies the same way, then I'm with you. Because I also want to, to make sure that uh, employment is there. I don't want the companies to 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 get rid of the of the jobs. I mean, we need those people to have jobs. It's good for the psychology, etc. So it's, there's 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 room to help. Mm-hmm. But please link conditionalities. Don't let them pay any profits. Don't let them or profit. Uh, um, don't let them uh, pay any bonuses. I mean, these type of conditionalities are easy. And let them pay back the money we give them today let them pay back and and another point so many big nation, multinationals that are asking money now aren't paying any taxes so let them pay their fair share such that we can make sure that that nurse that's saving our lives or that doctor that's saving our lives has a good salary mm-hmm.
3: Uh, in fact we, uh, i think that we have to reframe our capitalism uh, or how we uh, we look at capitalism as the uh, like uh, the panacea or how we can uh, solve all our problems uh, through capitalism like injecting more money in, ca- in companies and all of this uh, in um, analysis i did uh, a few days ago i found that 70% of uh, companies in spain um, they have incomes uh, annual incomes lower than 2 million euros which means that they are unable to grow and unable to employ, uh, employ more people to generate uh, positions for new uh, for new people which means that even if we inject uh, money on those companies we will fail to uh, to solve unemployment so poverty will still and we will be settled on societies for more for long and long time and this is not about being educated or not educated this is how companies are structured and how mm-hmm. we are dealing with capitalism it's true that uh, more of companies uh, are sustaining our economical uh, societies but it's not all the truth and we need to uh, making them more um conscious about the their role on the society so if they are to provide some kind of product of services and then are in need of governments to uh, stay on work they have to be capable to roll and to employ more people even if this uh, would be like a cutoff in their uh, benefits in the long uh, in the short time on the in the middle time but it's not fair like to support them with no guarantees on how we will uh, face the next crisis or the social crisis to come. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. I think it's a very interesting analysis. It reminds me of uh, what's happening um, overseas in the U.S., where some people uh, are saying I'm willing to die for uh, capitalism, in a way. I want to go work (laughs) and add to the economy, basically. So that's a whole other way of looking into society and the way we organize ourselves and what it means to be... um, part of that. Um, so having, um, we, we've seen that based on your uh, experiences that this crisis uh, basically has shown us a few um, things that go wrong uh, when it comes to the way we organize work in a way, uh, the way people do or do not trust institutions and um, how these uh, different approaches lead into actually a defragmentation of the whole of Europe and then in the end it bites you back in a way um, and I mean, this sounds very complex and um, it's quite a big problem. So if you allow me, I would like to go to the next phase kind of, of this conversation to see like, okay, what can we do? Like, what can we learn from what's happening now and what happened in 2008? And also maybe what happens more on national and local levels and uh, how we can actually build our knowledge uh, and um, work uh, on that analysis that we keep making, that uh, capitalism is a problem indeed. But what next? Uh, after we make KLM and the big companies pay their taxes, of course. But let's make it a bit more
2: specific. Yeah. What can we do? So, you know... Um this COVID, uh, corona crisis has only exposed the deep inherent equality that already existed in the UK. It's just blown it up basically. So all of this rhetoric that we use, especially in the UK, that oh we're all in this together is, is, is completely not true. We're not in all all of this together. Like even from the local perspective, we have people complaining and even like the police going up to like people with drawn cameras in parks saying go inside your houses and stuff like that. But we need to understand First of all, it's a privilege to self-isolate. The fact that you can self-isolate in your house, you've got a home, you've got enough space to self-isolate, you've probably got a garden to do that. Many people from lower-income families, working-class communities haven't got that privilege. So it's already been interesting to see from a social aspect what's the kind of divide that's been happening from there. But at the same time, I there's been so many amazing community activists that have literally risen up on, basically, mutual aid groups supporting each other's neighbours, setting up action groups setting up food banks for people who are on the lower end of stuff so from my perspective it's just a case of how can we we need to continue that same energy and fundamentally when it's all said and done we need an entire system change we need to completely change the people who are governing us which an aspect is um, we need to, we, we need a change of government So that's why, from my perspective, it has been a bit disappointing to not get as much of a robust opposition in the Labour Party as much as we'd like it for them to be seen. But at times they would argue that they're trying to be diplomatic and all that. But But
1: Majid, I mean, I don't want to debate you. You know, you're a good friend. But in times of crisis, it's always hard to uh, create opposition against leadership. People automatically, because they see it as a fight. And when you are at war, you have a fight... People tend to unite. You know, it's it's yeah. it's hard to no, course, criticize. Mohammed, I mean, this this is also yeah. also in the Netherlands. It's hard to criticize our prime minister.
2: But Mohammed, like, it's not a case. Say, of... Come on, stop. No, no I, I agree. It's not but a case. But g- g- eh? the time will come. The time will come. add something. The time Wait, just will one come. second. Do you know he's, what it is, man? It's he's not a case of this opposition this. for opposition's sake. Yeah. Like, yeah. when we've got a government who is blatantly lying or who's yeah. blatantly giving misinformation to people or withholding. I find it, it's the responsibility of the opposition to say, no, you've got this wrong. It's not just a political point score, of course. Okay, then I no, agree. I, mean, I fully agree. In, in, in the, there's no appetite for that whatsoever. No. At the moment, we're in a glow and everyone's trying to pull together. Like in, when there is mistakes that are meaning people as a result are losing their lives... Mm. We've, got, we've got a responsibility it's not even our opposition, but well, I can give you an example. In the Mohammed, Netherlands, Mohammed, about first,
0: about uh, yes. let's get back to me She wanted to say something. Yeah. Yeah. So in Madrid, from- yes, yes. the city
3: hall, for example. Uh, we are uh, Mas Madrid. What we presented is a whole uh, uh, package of um, uh, of measure uh, tailored by the NGOs, the unions, and uh, and. The companies and all of this and we presented all these measures to, uh, to the government to the local government as opposition like you are being very uh busy like dealing with all the social problems in the healthcare systems and all of this and we will help you to uh, to get to those solutions and to those measures that are uh, that have the uh, the major consensus about everyone and we presented all these measures and most of them have been very good welcomed by the government like we are like um supporting each other and you are doing like uh, a good opposition in terms of helping to overcome this situation i that that is not the time to like uh, showing all the leaks or all the uh, the, best, the bad management because none of one are, uh, was prepared to deal with this situation and uh, kind of mistakes will happen all around the, uh, the way. But the question is that we have to minimize all the impact. So uh, in our case, we have a conservative party and the kind of solutions to come is to provide low-income families with pizza uh, to eat during the fifteen uh, the fifteen uh, days before. So you can have uh, an image on the kind of solutions they provide to uh, to people are not the, the 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 solutions we can think of when we are dealing with poverty. Uh, one when one needs. Like, to fulfill food, yes, but pizza is not the solution. You have to provide uh, healthier food for people. <laughs> I like that. Pizza is not the solution.
0: <laughs> that should be like... <laughs>
3: it was like, yes, everyone likes pizza. Why not have pizza every day for 15 days? It was like, uh, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so, so
3: listening is to pizza, pizza? <laughs> no, it's pizza from, from telepizza
0: it, it was fresh at least. <laughs> at least, at least. Hey, uh, while listening to you, I heard like uh, it, it's it's kind of looking for a balance between on the one hand opposition, like saying that it is, but at the same time also realizing that like Soon mentioned, like there is need for some kind of cooperation because as Muhammad mentioned, this is a certain kind of a war. So how do we find that balance between like having these grassroots initiatives and trying to help as much as possible, but then at the same time trying to change The whole structure, that's the problem in the first place. So you don't keep like just doing small things and have small solutions that are temporary. Mohamed, I think you wanted to say something before?
1: Yeah, just before, because I want to give the example of the Dutch minister of healthcare that uh, resigned because of uh, uh, he was um, overworked. And I was really annoyed by some of the opposition figures in parliament. And my party is also one of the opposition parties, by the way, but Some parties, like the right extremist Geert Wilders, was like every time asking the minister to come to parliament to have a debate on some topic. You know, the number of beds, the number of this, the number... And the guy was overworked. I mean, he was exhausted and at the end had to resign. I do really think that we should make sure that ministers and commissioners or local councillors or whatever they should be supported to to make sure that they can do the work that is necessary to take the decisions that are necessary, but they should always explain to us why they did things and uh, debate with us whether that's the right thing they, to do and whether, no, um, like explain the thing that they did, whether that was correct and whether they should keep it like that. I mean, that the opposition should play a role, but like, to to make to use this crisis to make sure that you are higher up in the polls that's the type of politics i really dislike mm-hmm. but to to, to uh, i heard my son i think it's good that you uh, came up with your own plan and presented that to the uh, to the municipality i think um, i've seen some good examples also in in in, in, um, in belgium where some local municipalities have had like a a full plan with the ngos with the schools with the healthcare workers where they uh, even they made like, a. Um, they called it like the, the, bo- um, the, the package for bored children. For example, if yeah. children were like in a quarantine, they had like things to draw, to make. I mean, they were thinking about the whole quarantine process from healthcare to psychology to economy to, I mean, that was a fun, uh, very amazing. I think it's good to have these grassroots solutions, you know, uh, bottom up.
0: Mm-hmm. Whether,
1: whether people will continue uh, I mean, I also see all the Facebook actions, the WhatsApps I get almost daily from people. I mean, yesterday I got a message where people asked for 450 pieces of soap. I think five or six or nine of us all bought 50 and 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 brought them to those to that uh, to that person, and they I think allocated amongst people. I mean, I love these ideas. I love the grassroots uh, uh, initiatives. The only thing is when we when we start to structure them, when politicians uh, uh, are um, included or the municipality or minister, then the spontaneity dies. And people, I do not know. I mean, sometimes it's good to have these grassroots organizations, uh, no, uh, initiatives. Of course, we have to solve the reason they started. I mean, poverty, bad healthcare measures, etc. That's process politicians. But mm-hmm. I think that these grassroots initiatives, I i mean, they are, I, I think, I hope that they will always stay there. I mean, there is always someone in the world that's in need of something.
2: Mm-hmm. Magic? You know, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, just very um, briefly, in terms of political aspects of it, it's, I know that the coronavirus crisis is a global crisis. It's affecting everybody, first and foremost, right? But at the same time, it is political parties who are the ones making decisions in terms of how do we negate some of the impact of it. So, of course, there's a big aspect of politics. For example, if you go to Brazil, Bolsonaro, he's practically saying, no, it doesn't exist. Everyone needs to come out on the streets. You've got Donald Trump saying everybody should be drinking Dettol. And, and, like it's, so it's political. It's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. So like even from a UK's perspective, we've got a government for the past 10 years who've been doing everything that they can to dismantle the NHS so eventually they can privatise the uh, National Health Service. And bear in mind, the National Health Service was something that was born at the end of World War II as a way to deal with healthcare. So it kind of was born out of a crisis in itself. And the Conservatives want to basically dismantle that. So it's like we... All we want is basically, I think there's a big, big role. And as I said before, it's not a position for opposition's sake. But of course, there needs to, first of all, be an inquiry into why in the UK we are having disproportionately more black, brown people die from the coronavirus crisis than more than any, anybody else. There's a third, 33% of all the deaths are from BME uh, community. There needs to be a, I think there basically needs to be an inquiry into the way everything was basically handled. To give you one example, the government gave a contract to one of its biggest donors, and Deloitte, which are an accountancy company, to basically carry out tests in a theme park. They gave a contract to an accountancy company to basically carry out tests in a theme park. And guess what happened? It completely failed. The tests weren't missing. They weren't accurate. Because what experience have they got to do? And it's all the entire the way they've basically been handled. Of course, I'm not saying everything that they've basically done was completely negative, but there has been so much blunders basically which have been political I think there needs to be a massive and uh, inquiry into that and well from a local perspective like a local school near me in Sheffield has basically the teachers have been getting together making school dinners at the children because you think about it in, in, the, in the UK especially there's we've got a massive case with child poverty and a lot of children rely on the free school meals that they get in schools to basically sustain them as part of one of their main meals in the day and now they're going to be not having that so some, like a school name has basically been still been cooking the dinners and been going door to door of all the students and in their schools to give those free meals so those children do not miss out on, on getting those meals, which is r- really, really important. So I think we need to make sure all, all these small campaign groups, all the opposition parties really now more than ever, inshallah, when we get past this crisis, to really not only hold the government to account, but demand... This massive change with strong policies otherwise i can't see another great opportunity to get to change things as drastically as we need them to be i'm not talking about tinkering tinkering around the edges but real fundamental change and i think with this crisis and it's a shame that we have to do it on the back of a crisis rather than doing but i think now is a great opportunity to do that
0: Mm -hmm, mm thank you majid Meisun, uh, we yes. spoke about meals as well. Maybe I hope they're they not cooking pizzas in the school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think pizza. So, Meisun, when it comes yes. to, to, to basically translate these uh, community efforts into sustainable change, what do you think would be needed to do so? I think that uh, our public
3: administration here in Spain should be changing the way they're contracted. And the way they approach to, to people needs so a more uh, transparency will be needed, and also to be more uh, conducted on uh, how uh, uh, all the uh, internet infrastructure, the databases, and all of this. Could be like help a lot to identify who is the best contractor based on the offer, based on the referrals, and not only by uh, the previous contracts having with the uh, the municipality or the public administration, but and also including all the feedback from people and the addressed needs uh, from the different NGOs and the civic, uh, um, civic. Civil society. I think that uh, in this crisis, we've been uh, like uh, Majid and Mohammed already said that the democracy has been touched uh, in the uh, in the sense that we are not able to ask for uh, our uh, the information from how you are dealing with this situation or uh, how we would uh, you would uh, solve this situation or all of this because we are all aware that the need. Should, and the efforts should be uh, prioritized uh, towards mm, those people who are dramatically affected by uh, by Corona, uh, uh, even from the unemployment or the health uh, situation. And also, I think that um, we need. To find out how to deal with this those situation, the, the lockdown, the um, having the government very busy uh, uh, with the certain cells, uh, to retrieve our democracy and representative choice, to uh, represent people uh, and what they are, uh, need, and the cooperation should be like um, in the first. Uh, uh, in the first uh, in the front line on, on all of this and getting out from the competitiveness of parties and, uh, and all of comes to elections. I don't know how we can deal of the, uh, with this because it's a new sh- uh, situation for all of us and uh, certainly for sure we'll have uh, a bad balance for the next uh, democracy uh, uh, participation in the next month. Uh, Mohammed said that, that people forget to, about uh, the about, uh, things and the opposition has very bad
0: choices in the future, I think. Mohammed, mm-hmm. you just mentioned um, I'm just looking
1: at Majid. Is he okay? His phone dropped. <laughs> Majid, are you with us?
0: Yeah. Uh, Hello? Yes, we can oh. hear you. Oh, uh, well, technology still happens. Well, he may try to come back. But well, anyway, anyway, let's continue.
1: Yeah, I think I hope it's <laughs> fine.
0: We have no. a crisis in a crisis discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mohammed, uh, one thing uh, you said was about, on the one hand, being like involved in this action to buy soap locally. That's a yeah. very like community-based um, action. And then at the same time, you said there is a certain kind of beauty in that people getting together and trying to help each other. And then at the same time, you have a responsibility on European level as an MEP to, uh, to, to, to bring policy into practice. So where is the, the balance between on the one hand kind of re- relying on society to organize themselves and help each other? And then at the same time, uh, where does the government or institutions on European level need to step in?
1: Yeah, I mean, we do have a welfare state, I think, in Europe. So I think we are we are doing our best as much as we can. But we do say that there are some failures. For example, during Corona, one of the things we see in the Netherlands is that there's a difference in education, uh, um, basically, uh, the education quality that te- children are getting from home. We saw that some children didn't have an internet connection, didn't have a laptop or an iPad. And unfortunately quite fast people stepped in, either schools or municipalities, or even volunteers that provided these children with the right equipment. So there's always a balance between things and tools and policies from the government, and also there's a beauty in initiatives from people themselves. It's always, I mean, we are people, we love to help each other. Uh, We actually get more happy by providing someone with something than getting something. So that's something that we should always uh, be aware of. What I think Europe should do now, and what I'm focusing on now is how can we be better prepared for these type of crises in the future? We know that there are millions of viruses out there <coughs> that can hit any moment. We also know that there's a relation between climate change and the amount of viruses and other uh, um, uh, diseases that can pop up so one of the ideas I I came up with, and uh, um, I I'm, uh, I will present. I think um, uh, this will be published in, in the upcoming days, uh, probably in one of the Dutch uh, uh, journals or uh, papers. Um, is that we should after the biking, banking bank crisis in 2008, we created this stress test where we tested to what extent the financial system, the financial uh, um, uh, the banks, could meet up with the crisis that was coming up. I think we should do a similar thing when it comes to this pandemic, when it comes to this type of viruses. We should create a test to see to what extent is our capacity enough? Do we have enough people? Do we have enough uh, medicines? Do we have enough test facilities? Do we have a good connection when, for example, the border between countries is blocked? Uh, what, do, what happens with your supply chain? I mean, these type of tests are being developed I saw that some scientists in 2018 already mentioned this because of the relation because of between climate change and the upcoming of diseases. We should be better prepared. We didn't do anything. No one is talking about this up to now. I know that in Spain, they are, the government is thinking about creating this stress test for healthcare. So my focus is how can we make sure that if we have another crisis, the least amount of people are hit, and we have as low as possible casualties. That's the main focus. The second, then we can talk about the economy, because if people die, there's no economy. We need to save people. So how can we prevent this? How can we better coordinate it? How can we better... I mean, this is something that I really have passion about and that we now currently in the European Parliament are debating amongst each other. Whether we will get there depends really on the member states, because the member states, on the one hand, Want to give responsibility to Europe, but at the other hand, if people in your own country are dying, then it's really hard to, uh, to share maybe some of the equipment with other countries. But solidarity is very essential because there will be a day that you will be the victim and you will be needing help. And then uh, you, can, you can be sure that the people from Italy and Spain will be there to help you. I think this, this idea of solidarity should be plugged into society from a local level, help your neighbor, help your family, to a national uh, European level, where you help each other as states, as companies.
0: Okay. thank you, Mohammed. So this, um, so there is help helping each other. Quite literally, is possible yeah. on a local community community level, but also on infrastructural level as an institution. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, Maysoon, what do you think? Oh, wait, uh, yeah, let's do this first and then the question we have from Facebook. Okay, so I think that really we we have to uh,
3: to look for the future and sustainability should be a main effort for everyone. Uh, Mohamed said that the the stress test for our infrastructure should be done to know, to have like a, a, an assessment of uh, what we have and how we can pre- be prepared for the next uh, situation. And I think that one thing that uh, Corona has showed that is is that we uh, didn't rely on innovation in, uh, and R&D. So, and also on the healthcare system, but there are a lot of, uh, of areas like education. We were not prepared to have remote uh, classes uh, for the different levels of, for education. Uh, maybe at the, uh, uh, graduate people could join uh, classes on the internet, but uh, for the uh, lower cl- uh, classes, they are not prepared. And also they don't have the support. They n- not need... Uh, it's not assured that they would have the um, the support from home. Not each parents have the the idea or the preparation or the education or the time even to be uh, with their uh, children to, to teach them and to follow the classes with them. And I think that this massive test should be uh, carried out, uh, but also we have to... Um, delocalize localize our situation, uh, our administration, our people. Like the, the model of having everyone getting in the same town or the big cities, this model is um, uh, is very old for the next situation. Uh, for the next crisis to hit, uh, if we have like a more atomized, uh, I think that will it will be managed uh, in a very, very 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 good way because uh, here in spain we showed that uh, we seen that the local uh, the small communities uh, didn't have uh, much cases of corona so they have uh, they uh, were they been able to uh, continue their econo- economy, uh, with their local uh, economy uh, with the, their activities with their day to day activities so uh, they localized uh, admin service, public services and private services will be uh, a way to not to repeat this uh, damage and the crisis and to reduce all this bad impact on economy and society also. But also we have to uh, think on how we deal with all our environment. So we are not aware of uh, all the damage we've been done uh, or on our environment and all the stress uh, on our biospheres and all of this, so uh, we can have a lot of employment based on those uh, uh, on those ecosystems and joint the delocalization and the uh, joining uh, mobility uh, solutions. We can have better prepared system for the future, and also to have more. Um, like concern on the local economy more than the global one and the big cities economy and all of this.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Meisru. What I find interesting listening to both of you is that it's both about, on the one hand, strengthening the uh, infrastructures and then at the same time also the local communities uh, on a very personal base. And hopefully that's like the magic code uh, to get out of this sustainably. Um, so, um, there are some questions on Facebook. Um, one of them is for you, Mohammed. Um Let me see. Uh, what is the EU's support to the states in facing out of this crisis and the aftermath?
1: Yeah, so I think this is one of the, I think one of the, um, th- one of the inter- not interesting things, people really debate this. You know, people are a bit, I think it's a bit strange that, for example, if you compare Belgium, the phase-out plan to Spain or to the Netherlands, it's they're all different. Uh, the different concerning, can restaurants be opened or not? Can schools be opened or not? Can you go to your family or not? There's a lot of uh, confusion caused by that. Uh, unfortunately, countries have their own competence when it comes to the phase-out plan. But I do think we should, have been, we should have coordinated much more than we're doing now, especially between countries that share a border. For example, I, I, I'm getting emails from um, Dutch citizens living in Belgium, where in Belgium now, they're allowed to go to, to visit family, but they're not allowed formally to go to the Netherlands and visit the family there. Or uh, family from the Netherlands, that's like living just across the border, Allowed to go to their uh, uh, um, to their um, uh, uh, house. So and, and and we also know that in some there are some villages in Belgium, and in the Nether no, there's a village in the Netherlands, but it's Belgium. It's called uh, it's it's in nord Brabant. It's like like an enclave within the Netherlands. And there it can be that within one house, one part is in Belgium and one part is in the Netherlands. I I do not know whether you saw this now shop where they had a line within the shop where one part was closed because it was on the border Belgium territory and shops were not uh, were not allowed to open and the other part of the shop was allowed and there was this guy that needed socks and was not allowed to take the socks because the socks were formerly in the Belgium side I mean this is this is the most ridiculous example why I think countries and hence Europe should coordinate also the phase out plan people don't understand if you live really close to each other. Like let's, we have many shared borders. People just move around, jump around, shop uh, everywhere. We should coordinate because the, this confusion can also create uh, problems when it comes to the spread of these type of viruses. So coordination is needed. the countries should take as, as much as possible the same phase out plan because at the end we are one in the market, one continent that don't have formal physical borders let's try to go there as much as possible as quickly as possible which means coordination and uh, taking the same measures Uh, but Europe isn't doing I I don't know whether what if they're doing a lot I think they are I think the commissioner is uh, discussing a lot I think the president commissioner Van der Leyen is also discussing a lot with the heads of state and the ministers of health but at the end countries take their own decision
0: Thank you. Meso, any reflections on this? Uh, well, I have,
3: uh, we don't have uh, those uh, examples as in Belgium and, <laughs> and the
0: Netherlands. I'm happy for you. But,
3: <laughs> but uh, oh, what we do have is like the facing of uh, our communities or uh, local villages are getting out from the um, the lockdown in different phases. So we have like four spaces that uh, communicated by the government and Uh, Today we have like, no, uh, on, no, tomorrow we'll, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, tomorrow we'll have 70% of the population will be uh, on phase one uh, and the other and the rest will be on phase zero. And the criteria was not only the beds on hospital, but also how they're um, getting the information from how uh, the people who are infected, the people who are tested and all of this. And uh, the community where I am living, uh, which is Madrid, uh, was not able to set um, equality or to fit the criteria to, to get out of oh, this uh, uh, from five, phase zero to phase one. And the phase one is the one where the, all the commerce are, uh, the local commerce on the street are are opened and uh, people can uh, go to their work and some uh, uh, schools school, uh, would have some activities. Uh, the question is that much of uh, we have like Would you help people to stay uh, uh, protected or companies to be protected? And we have like a clash between the local government and the uh, central government about uh, which is more important, to have people dying or have enterprise uh, crashing. So Mm -hmm. for us is the big debate here in Spain, especially with the uh, unemployment rate. We have like uh, 4 million people uh, unemployed and there are some debate and discussions between uh, companies and, uh, and unions to, to deal with the situation, because uh, we have like temporary uh, layoff and they have to get back to, to the work, but company are not, companies are not that up for getting back all these people because there, are not, uh, there is no activity. And the, the funny uh, issue about the Spain is that our economy is based on tourism and services. So if we have a national lockdown and there is no people coming in, in Spain, um, there is no perspective for those companies to uh, get out of the crisis and retrieve their economical uh, situation. So it will be very hard for all those people who are employed now to get back to, have, uh, to their job or find some uh, an other job
0: in the near future. Thank you so much. And uh, because of time, we're already heading to the last question. So that one is um, if you had one advice to give to the youth with a minority background watching this live stream, what would that be? Hmm. I think I would say uh, be proactive.
3: be part of uh, all the de- political debate because uh, a lot of things will be changed in this new normality, in Spain we call like the phase after Corona is the new normality. So uh, this new phase of new normality, new reality will be uh, crafted by all people of interest and we should be part of those interests and push ours in the agenda and be proactive in the sense that don't stay and observe what is happening even in the job
0: market and be proactive and find your, uh, your support. Okay, thank you. That was the last question coming in. And um, Mehmet, how would you respond to that?
1: Uh, this is a very, I mean, w- what advice should I give to people? I mean, I think uh, concerning Corona, I think, or in general. I mean, I mean do your best, uh, stay safe and... Um, there's always you'll always find some people in the world that will hate you and that will uh, not accept you as a human being or as a as a <coughs> as a person from the as as a how do you call it someone from the same country. But there are many 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 hundreds maybe thousands of people that you do not hear that really like you that want the best for you that want you to be successful that want you to gain. I mean, please focus on them and ignore the negative. That's
0: what I would say. And then we have Majid being back.
1: You're upside down.
0: down. We're (laughs) happy anyway. So just stay with us. Don't touch the phone again. (laughs) We will lose
2: you. (laughs) We cannot hear you, Majid. Can you turn up your uh, mic? Sorry, my phone died and I had to get a charge. Sorry, but every time I try and flip my phone, it puts me upside down every time. So I'm really sorry about that.
0: (laughs) You're just in time for the last question that came in by uh, someone. And uh, Maysoon and uh, Mohammed already answered it. So I would like you to answer two if possible. (laughs) And the question is, uh, if you had one advice to give to the youth with a minority
2: background watching this live stream, what would that be? Advice, general advice in terms of coronavirus or just in general, is it? This is all I got coming in, so it's up to you. You're free. And um, first of all, I'd say make sure that like, your family and everyone's supported, and they've got um, all the support they need. And I'd always emphasizing in starting local. And you know, honestly, so like there, are, there'll definitely be something that either you're really pissed off at, or know or something that you want to change. And I would say like find out within your local community, get active in your local community. But I just feel like we can no longer afford to stay on the sideline and be quiet and not get involved. Because if you don't do politics or get involved to change something, it's going to affect us at the end of the day. And I'd always remember, even when I was as a local councillor, people would always say, oh, my God, you know, you should tone down or you shouldn't be too political. And I would say how can I not be political? I'm someone who's black, someone who's Muslim, someone who's immigrant. Like, I, it would be such a travesty. I, I would feel like I'm doing a disservice, not only to myself, but my family and those around me if I'm not willing to do something or to change something. Whether that be like, I can't remember the hadith, but like, it goes something along that. If you can't, it's try change some. try use your hands. If not, use your mouth. If not, just have the intention to do it. But I think if you're able to, if you're, Someone was able to do something, regardless of how small or big it is, we all, it's incumbent within us to try and be active citizens within our community to do something. And alhamdulillah, within So that is a great network of people willing to support each other. So it's a great opportunity, especially now more than ever. So hopefully we'll have a lot more active citizens.
0: Thank you so much, all of you. And the shout-out to Fremisa was not staged, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> we appreciate no, honestly, it was, um, thank you so much for these genuine words, all of you. Yeah. And uh, having said that, it's already time to wrap up. So thank you so much, Mohammed Maysoon, and thank you for um, being no. with us. Exactly. It was you. very much appreciated. And thank you for watching, listening uh, from home as well. And uh, as I said before, uh, we're together in this. Let's try to help each other, our neighbors, on local level, quite literally, but also on institutional level. And uh, whenever we are able and capable of changing something, whether it be through our deeds, actions, or just pray, prayers as well, uh, those go together. So don't just stand uh, clapping on the balcony, but try to put that into practice as well. Thank you so much, muhammad Maysoon, uh, Majid. I'm glad he will so now. Assalamu alaikum. Salam alaikum